Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining me again for the Spirit of Prophecy podcast. Appreciate you watching these episodes. Please continue to help me get the word out about this program. Very happy with the programs we've had so far. We've had some fantastic guests, and I've been getting some really good feedback, and I appreciate everyone who has liked, subscribed, shared these videos, uh, who are using the different platforms. Just help me keep spreading the word about this and looking forward to many more great programs, uh, exciting guests. And But this week, this week, I'm going to be, I'm planning on flying solo the whole week and I am going to devote an entire week to Daniel's 70th week. You see the chart behind me right there? Daniel's 70th week is what this program is going to be all about uh, for the next week. And because this is an important issue and this issue is where there is a lot of confusion where people have gotten really mixed up and I'm, t- I'm going to today on today's program, what I'm really going to do is I'm just going to probably instead of enlighten everyone, I'm just going to cast doubt uh, on what you believe about Daniel's 70th week. And that might seem kind of cruel, but I do think you need to be shook up a little bit when it comes to this subject because uh, we've been brainwashed when it comes to the subject of Daniel's 70th week, the tribulation, the great tribulation. And this has been going on for uh, over 100 years now, and it has had a devastating impact, I think. And if we would actually be loyal to the scriptures, if we actually did truly believe the King James Bible like we say we do, we wouldn't have issue with a lot of this stuff. And we, uh, we've we been talking a lot about you know using biblical terminology, using Bible words, the way the Bible uses them. And we don't do that when it comes to Bible prophecy. And I believe there's been some devastating consequences as a result of that. So uh, what I want to do today, I'm going to kind of really cast doubt on what you believe about Daniel's 70th week. And then in the next weeks, we will take the time to show exactly what it does mean. And so what I'm calling today's program is Daniel's 70th week or Larkin's 70th week. Do you believe in Daniel's 70th week or Larkin's 70th week? Because most of what is associated with Daniel's 70th week is in reality things that are associated with Larkin's 70th week, the things that he wrote that were all going to take place in the 70th week. So let's go ahead and take a closer look at this um, at this chart of Larkins. And I want to point out a few things to you about it. First off, I want to point out the title of it. You'll see the tribulation period or Daniel's 70th week, the reign of Antichrist. Now, I'm not trying to nitpick, ladies and gentlemen. I am not trying to nitpick whatsoever, but I'm just asking you, Are we getting our thinking from the Bible or are we getting it from books? We've been talking a lot about that. Did you know that word Antichrist can only be found in 1st and 2nd John? It's not even in the book of Revelation. It's definitely not in the book of Daniel. Now, I know what everybody means. I know who everyone's talking about when they say Antichrist. But we always have to ask ourselves, why are we using these terms? And it's because, and we use it all the time. We, we can do a whole series through Revelation. We say Antichrist, 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 Antichrist. That word is never even in there. Why aren't we using the Bible term? Why aren't we calling him the beast? 
Why aren't we calling him what Paul called him in 2 Thessalonians, the man of sin and things like that, the son of perdition? I, I, there's a reason because we are not forming our thinking on these things from the Bible. We're forming it from books. And I'm not saying everyone is wrong when they use that, that term. I'm just showing what is shaping your thinking. When we call these events the tribulation, when you call Daniel's 70th week the tribulation, why are you calling it that? Why, where does that come from? Are you seeing that be a word being used to describe it in Revelation? No, that comes from Matthew 24. And we will, without a doubt, be doing a deep dive on the Olivet Discourse before too long. But the fact that you are going to associate all the events of Revelation that are global events, and you're going to put them in the same cat thing that where we get Matthew 24, where it's a prophecy about Jerusalem, about Jerusalem, something that happened in the first century. And again, I do believe, and I'll, I'll talk about this, that it foreshadowed future events, but at the same time too, it wasn't the same event. That event already took place. So why are we calling it the tribulation and the great tribulation? tell you why because of the charts and Clarence Larkin's chart is the chart that has influenced all charts all the things that you will see on Larkin's chart are all things uh the, these are all things that um they've in, it's influenced all the charts everyone takes Larkin's events and they put them in their chart that represents Daniel's 70th week even though none of these things are spoken of are not most of these things are not spoken of in Daniel chapter 9. In the book, I talked about this last week, Charting the End Times by Tim LaHaye. Um, you will see in here, they have a chart. And it is known, it says, the tribulation. Or tribulation, in parentheses, Daniel's 70th week. And in this book too, they, uh, they give props to Clarence Larkin. They admit that Larkin inspired a lot of things. Um, in this book, but they've, you know, said they've just made their own prettier looking timeline. And here's what's interesting about Larkin's timeline. Here's what's interesting about Tim LaHaye and Thomas Ice's timeline. The one event that pre-tribbers never want to talk about is the sixth seal where the sun is darkened and moon is turned to blood. That event is specifically mentioned in Revelation, or not Revelation, in the Olivet Discourse of Matthew 24. It's after that event takes place that we see Jesus coming back. We see in the Bible too that the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before that great notable day of the Lord comes. So there's a reason they need to ignore this event. It's funny how that is such a big event that is mentioned throughout the Old Testament and yet it doesn't make these guys charts. If you look at the sixth seal in Tim LaHaye and Thomas Isis' chart, it just says great earthquake. If you look, uh, if you look in Larkin's chart, and it might be a little blurry on here and hard to see, but it, on the sixth seal, it just says physical changes. I understand those listening on audio, you can't see these, but check out the video version of this. Why don't they say sun dark and moon turn to blood? We're supposed to ignore that event. And I don't know how you can. It's spelled out in the sixth seal. It's mentioned over and over again in the Bible. You'd think this would be something that they would really heavily emphasize on their charts because it was such a big event, but nope, just physical changes or great earthquake. 
So uh, they there's certain things they need to keep vague on purpose. And it's interesting how things that are more specific in the Bible, they ignore. So, uh, you, you know, very inconsistent right there. But understand, again, Larkin's chart that you see behind me, it has influenced all charts. Now, I've got a pile of books in front of me, so bear with me as I'm moving stuff around. But this chart has influenced all charts. Post-tribbers, mid-tribbers, they take these things and they just rearrange them. They'll still call it Daniel's 70th week. They'll still call it the tribulation, the great tribulation. Right here in front of me, I have uh, Kent Hovind's book. It's called What on Earth is About to Happen for Heaven's Sake. And it has a chart in there called the post-trib pre-wrath rapture. So he's not a pre-tribber, but you'll see, though, he still is using Larkin terms for things. He has tribulation that's three and a half years, great tribulation that's three and a half years. And then what he does after that, and Kent Hovind believes we're here for all seven years of the tribulation. Because, of course, it's seven-year tribulation. I mean, of course, that's it. I mean, that's in Schofield's notes. Larkin established that. He just got the placing of the rapture wrong. No, uh, you don't have the evidence that you think you do for a seven-year tribulation. And we'll talk about that more as we go, too. But what Kent Hovind does in his book, and I don't hate him for this. Uh, again, I, you know, it's a theory. I just don't think it's a very good one. Um, he gets mixed up in the 2300 days of Daniel, which I believe the 2300 days of Daniel is something that already happened. But he starts the 2300 days of Daniel at the abomination of desolation in the middle of Daniel's 70th week. And then if you do that and then you go out from there, you're adding 1,040 days after the seven years. So he believes we're here for all seven years of the tribulation. But then there's then we're raptured and then there's 1,040 days where God pours his wrath out on the earth. So... Um, you know, so that his his timeline is a little different than most. It's got seven years plus a thousand and forty days. So, you know, e- either way, it seems to me that he is just stuck in this idea of tribulation three and a half years, great tribulation three and a half years, because of Daniel's seventieth week. He's mixed up on that. Uh, he was heavily influenced by Roland Rasmussen. Roland Rasmussen, I believe, he does something similar in his book where he has a thousand or he has the tribulation and the great tribulation. I don't know that he does the thousand and forty days thing. I can't remember. It's been a long time since I read his book. I have it. I should have looked, but um, guys like Roland Rasmussen, um, they, they were also set on the seven year tribulation, tribulation, three and a half years, great tribulation, three and a half years. And again, Part of that, I believe, is just some brainwashing left over from Larkin. Because the problem is people aren't understanding that Daniel's 70th week, it was about something much more specific. It was about something that has already come. Was it a foreshadowing of something that is to come? Probably. I, it is my position that it is. But if it's only a foreshadowing, how literal are we to take certain aspects of it? And because I believe the very literal aspects of it have already taken place. And so uh, I'm not, you know, I believe we should, and I'll, I'll say this a lot, I believe we should mainly form our thinking around uh, future events, 
on what we read in Revelation. I believe that's very important, and uh, you know we'll and we'll talk more about that too as we go because there's a lot we need to cover on Daniel's 70th week. But what I mainly want to do today is I just want to show you that this thinking of, of Daniel's 70th week being the seven-year tribulation that is still to come is something that I believe was made big by Larkin. I'm sure he didn't invent it, but he probably made it big. It typically, uh, the way things go historically, whenever there's a new movement of some teaching, you know, it usually starts with a smaller guy, but then a big name gets a hold of it, and then they run with it, and they make it popular. For example, the Blood Moons craze that happened a few years back. Uh, everybody associates that with John Hagee, and rightfully so. But he didn't come up with it. There was another individual, I, I don't even remember his name, because nobody knew who he was. Not many people still know who he is. But he's the one that came up with that nonsense. And then John Hagee got a hold of it, and he wrote a book, and he made it big because he was a big name. Larkin probably did the same thing. He probably stole this from somebody, and he made it big. Schofield helped get it, a lot of these things in the minds of people. But these were not common theories. These were not the common ways people looked at things back in the day. If we could go pre-Larkin, people had a very different view of Daniel's 70th week. And it is a view that definitely aligns a lot more with what I believe. And so I'm going to, I want to talk about some examples of this. The first one uh, that I want to mention to you this was probably the first time I had seen it, but I, I saw this a long time ago. I kind of just discounted it and, and wrote it off, and I thought, well, he didn't know what he was talking about, but later was challenged and revisited. But this is a book, uh, The Annals of the World, by James Usher. This was written in the 1600s, and it has a whole timeline from the creation all the way up to 70 A.D. is where he ends. And when he gets to the ministry of Christ, this is what it says in the book. It says the first Passover of the ministry of Christ, from which the first year of the 70th and last week of Daniel begins, in which the covenant is confirmed with many. And he uses Daniel 9.27, and he also uses Matthew 26 and verse 28, where Jesus says, uh, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And I'm telling you, before Larkin, and even many people after Larkin, most people believed that the confirming of the covenant, the 70th week, uh, started with Jesus in his ministry. And there is a lot of examples of this. Now, what I'm going to do right now, I'm going to uh, use some examples from the book, Which One is Right by Pastor Matt First. Uh, I guarantee you we'll be having him on the program at some point. He, he's somebody who has a lot that he can contribute when it comes to this subject. Um, I've done uh, previous discussions with him about this on my other channel uh, that you can go find. And I believe there's even... Uh, links to him. If you look up prophecy discussions on on my Spirit of Liberty YouTube channel, you can find them where we talk a lot about this. But I'm going to read some portions uh, from his book where he gives many examples of people who taught correctly about uh, Daniel's 70th week, showing it was something that had already happened. Now, these things do not prove anything. Okay? 
And I fully intend, probably on tomorrow's episode, where I'm going to go through the Bible and I'm going to prove it with the Bible. I'm doing this today to just prove you've been brainwashed in your terminology. That things like this chart behind me have influenced you greatly and they have shaped your thinking in a way that makes it very difficult for you to see the truth in some of these areas. And you're reading these charts into your theology. Whether you're pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, you're doing that and people need to break free from this. If you, When you do, things become much more clear in the scriptures. And we also can understand too where we can probably get a little more dogmatic and where we shouldn't. Most people are specializing in being the most dogmatic in the areas of the Bible where it's the most vague. And I think that's a bad idea. So I'm going to read some portions from this book that he refers to. Uh, And one thing he does in there, I'm not going to take the time to cover this, but he starts out showing several prominent King James defending independent fundamental Baptist reading this just like Schofield showing that the covenant confirmer is the Antichrist. The Antichrist. That's always the term, the Antichrist. That's not That term is not used in Daniel, yet when everybody reads Daniel, they're seeing Antichrist rather than seeing Messiah the Prince, which actually is referred to and talked about. But let's read some examples that he gives in this book. For one, the Geneva Bible. In the Geneva Bible, it says, And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate even until the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. And here's some of their notes. It says, By the preaching of the gospel he affirmed his promise, first to the Jews and after to the Gentiles. Christ accomplished this by his death and resurrection, meaning that Jerusalem in the sanctuary would be utterly destroyed because of their rebellion against God and their idolatry, or as some read that the plague will be so great that they will be astonished at them. So the Geneva Bible notes said that this was the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And again, and they recognized too, they actually paid attention to the context of Daniel 9, and they understood that God was judging Jerusalem and God was going to leave their house desolate. They understood what God was doing when he had the temple destroyed. It was judgment on Jerusalem. Jerusalem got their judgment. This was not about future global events. When we go through Daniel 9, you will it will blow your mind how much people are reading things into that passage when it is a very specific prophecy of coming judgment for Jerusalem. And like many prophecies of judgment in the Old Testament, they also contained messianic prophecies, prophecies of hope. And we definitely see that in Daniel chapter 9. But at the end of the day, Daniel 9 is about the desolations of Jerusalem. That's what it's about. And the writers of the Geneva Bible, they clearly understood that. John Wesley, in his notes, says, He shall confirm. Christ confirmed the new covenant by the testimony of angels, of John the Baptist, of the wise men, of the saints then living, of Moses and Elias, by his preaching, by signs and wonders, by his holy life, by his resurrection and ascension, by his death and bloodshedding, shall cause the sacrifice to cease. All the Jewish rites and Levitical worship 
by his death, he abrogated and put an end to this laborious service forever. And that determined, that spirit of slumber which God has determined upon the desolate nation till the time draws near when all Israel shall be saved. So that's what John Wesley put in his notes. He understood that it was about Jesus Christ. Um, in uh, Matthew Henry's commentary, this one's a little longer, but Matt, these are respected commentators that many people still use today. But again, Baptists, they, they carried around that Schofield Bible, and he had a lot more influence than people who wrote commentaries that were in a separate book that they had to go pull off their shelf and read. They got lazy, and they just read Schofield's notes. And when they took an eschatology class in college, they took it out of Larkin's Dispensational Truth book. But that, these are not what most people believed historically. So Matthew Henry says, But others think, because it is said that in the midst of the week, that is the last of the 70 weeks, he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease, they end three years and a half after the death of Christ. When the Jews, having rejected the gospel the apostles turned to the Gentiles. And then uh, for verse 6, he says, He must confirm the covenant with many. He shall introduce a new covenant between God and man, a covenant of grace. Since it had become impossible for us to be saved by a covenant of innocence, this covenant he shall confirm by his doctrine and miracles, by his death and resurrection, by the ordinance of baptism and the Lord's Supper, which are the seals of the New Testament assuring us that God is willing to accept us upon gospel terms. His death made his testament of force and enabled us to claim what is bequeathed by it. He confirmed it to the many, to the common people. The poor were evangelized when the rulers and Pharisees believed not on him, or he confirmed it with many, with the Gentile world. The New Testament was not like the old confined to the Jewish church, but was committed to all nations. Christ gave his life a ransom for many. He must cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. By offering himself a sacrifice once for all, he shall put an end to all Levitical sacrifices, shall supersede them and set them aside. When the substance comes, the shadows shall be done away. He caused all the peace offerings to cease. When he has made peace by the blood of his cross and by it confirmed the covenant of peace, and reconciliation by the preaching of his gospel to the world with which the apostles were entrusted. He took men off from expecting remission by the blood of bulls and goats, and so caused the sacrifice and oblation to cease. The apostle in his epistle to the Hebrews shows what a better priesthood, altar, and sacrifice we have now than they had under the law as a reason why we should hold fast our profession. And we can go on and on. I mean, but this is good stuff. This lines up with the Bible. And some people say, well, you know, they kept doing sacrifices after the death of Christ. Yeah, but they, that was them rejecting the Messiah. Jesus caused them to cease, and he gave a really clear sign when he rent the veil of the temple. Now, it's not God's fault that the Jews, uh, because of the hardness of their heart, rejected the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. They rebelled and they went, and as far as I'm concerned, any offering they were doing after that, were, those were abominations. And I, and I believe God gave them some space to repent. I believe that's what the 40 years were. God gave them 40 years to get with the program. But you know what? 
after those 40 years, those who didn't get with the program, they went through great tribulation. They were compassed about with armies and they were destroyed. They weren't, they weren't like the people we see in Revelation who uh, are protected during persecution. They didn't get receive protection. They received destruction and judgment. And so there, we're not even going to go through all the examples Brother First has in his book, but he has he mentions also Usher He put uh, that I already read. He read what Usher said about these things. Another uh, common uh, book that's pretty popular is Halley's Bible Handbook. And in his, about Daniel 9, the 70 weeks, it says, The captivity, which was then drawing to a close, had lasted 70 years. Daniel is here told by the angel that it would yet be 70 weeks till the coming of the Messiah. The 70 weeks is generally understood to mean 70 weeks of years. That is 70 sevens of years, or seven times 70 years, that is 490 years. As if the angel were saying the captivity has been 70 years, the period between the captivity and the coming of the Messiah will be seven times that long. Seven and cycles of seven sometimes have symbolic meanings, yet the actual facts of this prophecy are most amazing as follows. The date from which the 70 weeks was to be counted was the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. There were three decrees issued by Persian kings for this purpose, 536 B.C., 457, and 444 C. under Ezra. The principal one of these was 457. 70 weeks, the 70 weeks is subdivided into seven weeks, 62 weeks, and one week. It is difficult to see the application of the seven weeks, but the 69 weeks, including the seven, equals 483 days, that is on the year, day theory, which is commonly accepted interpretation, 483 years. The 483 years is a period between the decree to rebuild Jerusalem and the coming of the anointed one. The decree to rebuild Jerusalem, as noted above, was 457, adding 483 years to 457 B.C. brings us to A.D. 26, the very year that Jesus was baptized and began his public ministry a most remarkable fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy even to the year. Further, within three and a half years was Jesus crucified. That is, in the midst of one week, the anointed one was cut off, purged away sin, and brought in everlasting righteousness. Thus, Daniel foretold not only the time at which the Messiah would appear, but also the duration of his public ministry and his atoning death for human sin. Some think that God's chronology was suspended at the death of Christ to remain so while Israel is scattered and that the last half of the one week belongs to the time of the end. And Halley said that too because by the time he wrote his book, I believe it was in the earlier 1900s, you know, dispensationalism was becoming a big thing and a lot of people were teaching the idea that, yeah, Israel got set on hold and we're, we entered in this Gentile age where God's getting a Gentile pride. And he's going to go back to the Jews. But it, it would appear that Halley did not believe that. So, um, oh boy, there's so many examples. It's, it's hard to decide which ones. I do want to give this one final one. Just because this one is by a very respected name in the independent fundamental Baptist world. Because people, they get mad at me. They want to act like I'm some kind of heretic for thinking Daniel's 70th week has already come to pass and uh, that it's about the Messiah and not the Antichrist. 
And again, if you want to call me a heretic, and I can't stop you, but you know, even John R. Rice, in writing about the wise men, claimed that Jesus, and not the Antichrist, was the covenant confirmer of Daniel 9.24-27. Uh, so he says, this is quoting John R. Rice, turn back to Daniel chapter 9, read verse 24 and 25. That 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness. So back there in Daniel's time, it was told that somebody would come to make atonement for sin. Daniel 9.25 says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be a certain length of time. And verse 26 says, He will be cut off and he will confirm the covenant. So it is in the Old Testament in Daniel. So even John R. Rice, he understood that the covenant confirmer was Christ. And man, uh, I, I need to stop with these. I'm going to do. I'm going to do one more. I lied. All right, I'm doing one more because this is another uh, famous name and commentary. But the Treasury of Scripture Knowledge by R. A. Torrey uh, has this to say for Daniel 9:25. The seventy weeks are here divided into three periods. Seven weeks or 49 years for the restoration of Jerusalem. 62 weeks or 434 years from one week or seven years to the ministry of John and of Christ himself to the crucifixion. The TSK is a cross-reference gold mine and a cross-reference that it gives for the people and the prince of Daniel 9.26 and for confirm and covenant in Daniel 9.27 leave no doubt that Christ was the passage's total fulfillment and not a future antichrist. And I'm going to stop there. You know what? I'm going to leave a link in the uh, description for this book. Which one is right? Go read this book. And again, you're going to find out. When you go back farther, most people taught it was the Messiah. Larkin has messed people up when it comes to Daniel's 70th week. Daniel's 70th week is about the Messiah confirming that new covenant that Jeremiah wrote of. And Daniel referred to Jeremiah early in Daniel chapter 9. One of the best things you can do to help you understand Daniel 9, 24 through 27 is read Daniel 9, verse 1 through 23. And here's another thing. You really want to add something to it to give clarity? Go back and read all the scriptures that he referred to. Read the things in Jeremiah that he referred to. Read the things in Deuteronomy that he referred to. And we will do that this week. We are going to do that this week. And it will become very clear what is being spoken of. And so when you understand that, I get it. It messes up a lot of people's timelines. It messes up a lot of people's charts. That's not what you heard. It's not what you're used to. But there's no denying what the Bible clearly says on this issue. So again, are you out there teaching people about Daniel's 70th week or Larkin's 70th week? If you are talking about Larkin's 70th week, you're going to be talking about global events, not events about the city of Jerusalem. You're going to be talking about the seals. You're going to be talking about the trumpets. You're going to be talking about the vials of God's wrath. You're going to be talking about all those things. You're going to be talking about, uh, and you're not. Going to, you're going to be talking about the Antichrist. You're not going to be talking about Messiah. That's not what we're going to talk about. But if you study the passage itself, if we talk about Daniel's 70th week, we will talk about things concerning Jerusalem. We will talk about judgments coming on Jerusalem. But we will also see what the Messiah did 
for Jerusalem. The Messiah came, confirmed his covenant, made an end of sins at the cross. And boy, it would be nice if we had some scriptures that told us that that's what, you know, that showed us Jesus doing all those things. Oh, wait, we do have those. And we will look at them uh, later on this week as we uh, do a deep dive on the subject of Daniel's 70th week. I have not, uh, and so this program, we did not go a whole lot into exactly what it means, or I did not take the time to prove what I believe about it. But I took this to just show you and to get you thinking, why do I call the events of Revelation that I believe are in the future Daniel's 70th week? Why am I doing that? These charts that I have, where, what inspired them? Where did they come? Where did they come from? Are they accurate? Are they based on the scripture, or am I forcing these events into my theology? And I'm afraid that's what many people are doing. So, stay tuned with me this week as we talk a lot more about Daniel's 70th week. God bless you. Thank you for watching this. We'll see you all next time.